This podcast is sponsored by Xgrowth. Xgrowth is the APAC ABM agency. If you and your organization are looking to land and expand enterprise mid-market deals, Xgrowth is the agency to help. Xgrowth works with a wide range of international and global technology vendors, service providers, and B2B SaaS companies. If this sounds like some of your interests to know more about, make sure to check out Xgrowth at xgrowth.com.au. That's xgrowth.com.au and chat with the APAC ABM agency. marketers and welcome to another episode of the Growth Colony podcast. I'm Liza from Xgrowth to tell you that each episode we bring in B2B leaders to chat about how you can achieve those everyday wins in the marketing world. Whether you're new to the B2B game, working at a leadership level or even just showing some interest, we know you'll love the episode. So grab a drink, get comfy and enjoy the show. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with Xgrowth, and today I'm talking to Jade Mira, Director of Marketing for APCJ at F5. And it's a little bit of a different topic. Um, I mean, with the topics and, and taglines like the Great Resignation hitting headlines in 2021 and now quiet quitting in 2022, and these days whispers of a recession, there are a lot of people that are feeling burnt out, uh, especially after the pandemic and things that are happening right now. And there is a lot of flexibility, but that also comes with longer hours and shorter deadlines. So with all this in mind, how do you attract and retain staff in this new situation? I mean, money is a big component, but it's not everything. Value-led organizations are proven to have higher staff retention and satisfaction than non-value-led ones. And this is a big one considering it's hard to retain staff and it's, it's hard to keep staff motivated and satisfied. So how do you, as a marketing leader, create a value-based culture? How do you seek organizations where you have the right value alignment? And if you're working in a cross-cultural team where values might differ, how do you address that? So on that note, let's dive in. Jade, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shaheen. Yes, great to be on the podcast again. Yeah, great to have you. Great to have you for, for the second episode. So let's let's dive in. Uh, I mean, you manage a decent team, decent marketing team across two different kind of organizations within F5. What are your thoughts in terms of some of the most important and fundamental components when it comes to retaining talent? Yeah, really good question. Um, and I really love this topic because I think values-based cultures, you know, keep retaining and, and keeping talent are really things that make companies successful. And it makes your job as a manager more fulfilling. And, you know, there's obviously more mastery and more science behind it. But given this topic a lot of thought recently, especially with all the talk of quiet quitting, great resignation, there's a lot of press and media around, you know, what employees want. And I think, I think what really started this seismic shift towards you know, people saying, I want this in a workplace or, or putting maybe a little bit more pressure on their employees for this unique sort of holy grail of, of both mix of culture, 
value, purpose, all these different conditions was I think COVID was really sort of that watershed moment of people realising, okay, we've had two years at home, two years being with our family, close quarter. I realised that, you know, the world opened up and realised we can do Zooms. We don't have to commute to the office for two hours a day. People can be trusted to work from home. It was this absolute, you know, great leap forward in terms of productivity and employee employer trust and we can never go back from that we're we're absolutely now this is the new normal employees have voted and said i don't want to go into the office more than you know three four four days a week i like to have one day a week from home and when i'm talking about this i'm talking obviously about knowledge workers we can't have frontline workers saying hey you know i'm a nurse or an ambulance attendee i can't go into work but yeah we're mostly about knowledge workers here which is people that are listening to the podcast right so yeah, COVID was this really big, you know, moment and created this inertia now, which has led to these conversations around what what makes us want to get up and go to work, what makes us want to work for a particular employer. So, and then this leads you to that other conversation of, okay, so people want flexibility, people want to feel support in their life, but it's a bit more than that, than what, what they want in a job. I think also just to go on the work-life balancing, I think there has been huge monumental shifts in the last 10 years around people really seeking more from the employer in terms of work-life support. And I have seen huge advancements in terms of offering child support, paternity leave, equal paternity leave for mothers and fathers. I mean, a lot of companies now can say we have we have um, equal paternity leave policies with both mums and dads. And that's really helping us bridge the gap between the work-life balance of both because, you know, we don't want to go to work and pretend we don't have a family. We don't have obligations. We want we want to be able to say, this is the whole me. I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a mother. I'm a dad. I'm a sister. I'm a brother. Um, I love sports. I, I like to volunteer with my local community club. Like, we want to do all those things and show up as our real selves at work. So that then leads me to the other thing around feeling like you have a sense of mission and purpose at work. And that's another really strong, strong driver for people. Um, they want to feel connected. Humans are social animals. So we want to feel like we're both connected with the charter of the company and we're connected with the people there. So that then leads me to the whole values discussion. And that's where we as humans go, okay, well, the values of the companies, we need to feel aligned with that. I think there's some really good research by Glassdoor. I actually read an article from 2017 with a chief economist from Glassdoor. And what he said, what, the, what he said the findings is, and Glassdoor have access to boundless amounts of qualitative and quantitative feedback. Great site. Highly, thoroughly recommend it. I always hop on Glassdoor when I'm researching companies. Um, and what he said is, by and large, out of all of this data, they found that the three main things people were looking for in terms of um, an employer, number one was the values of the company, number two was the quality of the leadership team, and number three was the career opportunities of the company. Now, what really surprised me about all that is pay is not mentioned once. So I think we have this, this perception that pay is the be on end all. People just want to go to work for the highest bidder. really doesn't matter who they're working for. could be the devil. <laughs> they just want to get paid. Well, I think what's that saying is it's not true. And I think we're finding out more and more that, and especially post-COVID, people want the work-life balance. They want to feel connected. They want to feel valued. So we've got all of those different ingredients blending together. And in terms of feeling valued, um, yes, that does kind of correlate to the pay argument because you know, feeling valued is part of it is being paid fairly for what you do. But beyond that is also a feedback loop. It's receiving constructive criticism. It's receiving positive feedback. It's it's getting that sort of recognition and, and those accolades from your work for the work you do. And that drives then back to the whole feeling connected, 
feeling like you're achieving, feel like you're part of the company's charter or mission. So that's also really important. And I think as part of my leadership practice, I always make sure that positive reinforcement, constant feedback loop is, is sort of encouraged actively in the team. And another thing I'd like to reiterate is feedback and positive reinforcement shouldn't just be reserved for people you feel you need to be developed or to be to be developing. Often it, it really sort of it, it sort of goes into a vacuum and doesn't get dished out sometimes to the star players in the company. And that's where we also see problems of people leaving because they don't feel appreciated. So that'll be my final bit of advice on the whole valuation. Uh, um, being valued piece would be to make sure you you make sure you recognize and let your star performers know that they are valued and to always realize that they need that that uh, positive affirmation just as much as uh, your developing staff do got it i really want to come back to this feedback component but but before doing that i mean as a marketer so it's it's fine to have company values right and there are a lot of companies that have their values now some pay lip service to it and some really live it. But as a marketing leader, especially a marketing leader that might not be even in HQ, yes, it's a marketing director, it might be a VP of marketing. How does that come into play when it comes to value? Do you as a marketing leader, for example, here in the Asia Pacific region, you say, oh, well, these are the values of the the HQ and we've got to kind of live this. Or is there a middle ground where that could be, you know, these are our company values, but we really need to think about it from a from a team perspective as well. How do you approach that? What are your thoughts on that front? Yeah, I think it's easy to, you know, especially working a really large company, a multinational to say, well, you know, I'm just one person out of thousands and thousands and I'm here on the ground and HQ is back in some other country. How can I influence those company values? And I, I truly believe, okay, first of all, I acknowledge that statement. Yes, the, you, the company values set from the top down do make a big difference. And we all know that metaphor, the fish rots from the head down. Well, I truly believe that's true. And I also believe it's, it's in the inverse, it's true. So um, really good values can, from the leadership team down can permeate through the whole company, especially if they're very strong, strong values. And that leads to a strong culture. So, yeah, I, I would say, yes, that is correct. But then I would say there's also so much you can do on the ground to to make sure that you are helping live and create those values, even within your own little ecosystem, with your own team. Just to backtrack, I mean, I think values alignment is, is one of the biggest things you need to look for as a professional, especially as you advance in your career, but at any stage. And that's the journey I went on and I found myself at when I was looking to join F5. I, I chose F5 based on values alignment. And something for me was extremely important is I needed to feel connected, like I mentioned before. I needed a sense of that shared vision. And I was just really extremely lucky that F5 at the time, um, two years before, one year before I joined, we, we, we had a new CEO at the helm. His name is Francois. And he wanted to, when it, his, part of his key charter was to set out and make F5 a, a values-led company and sort of had this vision of us being, you know, human first, which was really something that I absolutely instantly connected with when I started reading about the company. And it really, to this day, is, is definitely the reason that keeps me and many other people at F5. And I suppose where where I'd like to sort of get back to that is it not just only makes sense from keeping great staff on retaining talent, employing talent, it also makes good business sense because we've all heard about certain companies that have had bad values and it's made terrible business sense for them because they ultimately have been found out. But in terms of a company where we're a cybersecurity company and trust is our main trade, 
it's absolutely logical we should be values-led because companies need to trust us with really tough, tough problems. And so we need to have a very strong values-led sort of executive team as well as, uh, as, as teams on the ground helping support our customers. So just to give you an example of some of the problems that F5 solve, we are a legacy sort of load balancing company, but we've we pivoted to being a cybersecurity company in the last 10 years. And so we, one of our latest acquisitions, Safe Security, is as an anti-fraud and anti-bot technology, and we've integrated that into the F5 stack. And they do, uh, there's all kinds of solutions that that, that uh, product solves in, in terms of stopping fraud. A few examples I can give, like stopping um a major Fortune 500 company in the US, we we helped them solve and stop, you know, fraud on their gift card platform. And there was over $5 billion worth of stored value in that gift card wow. platform. So it's not small change. So the, the fraud that we stopped was in, in excess of tens of million dollars a year. We helped an Asian um, government create a digital wallet. We've, we helped give uh, one of the world's leading social media platforms a way to preserve and maintain the integrity of their ranking algorithm. So there's all these kind of things you think, wow, they're really hard problems. You wouldn't just go to any company and ask them, hey, we've got this really tricky problem. How do we solve it? They're, they're really tough problems. And so that's where the trust comes in and it's it's all important. So yeah, so going back to that, it makes good business sense for F5 to have strong values. Where I think I can make a difference on the ground in terms of being a local marketing leader is, you know, I lead a team and I also am part of a, a regional office. And I, when I first joined, made the key decision that I was going to be part of a cultural transformation in that regional office. And by doing that, I decided to volunteer as part of the Women's Employee Inclusion Group. And I was a co-chapter lead and I'm a co-chapter lead working for them. And one of the reasons I did this is because in the local branch office, we did have a bit of a diversity issue. So we made it our charter and I made it my personal mission to, okay, let's let's create a more inclusive environment for women in this, in this company I'm working for now. And as part of that, we, we set to work on some of the policies that we had locally and one of them being paternity leave. So... You know, I'm proud to say through our work with the WEIG on that, the paternity leave policies went from from two months for women and uh, I think it was two weeks for men up to equal paternity leave of its four months for both men and women. So we wow. really pushed forward and thought, you know, we want to make this a great employer and, and encourage diversity. And and by doing that, we increased in the first year um, of working in WRG, women participation in FIVANZ workforce by 8%. So, you know, that I feel proud about creating local change. And I also feel proud about, you know, the fact that my team is a diverse team and um, I try and bring those values with me every day to work. So, yeah, I think change can be affected on the ground, absolutely. Got to be proactive with it. I love that. Now, you talked about feedback, and I know that kind of radical transparency is a term that you've used in our conversations in the past, and it's a it's an important thing for you. What does that mean? Can you tell me a little bit about more about what does radical transparency mean for you? Yeah. Why is it important? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of different variants on what radical transparency means. I think a lot of people, if you've read Ray Dalio's book, Principles, uh, relate to it in the Bridgewater sense. Um, Ray Dalio is at the helm of the largest hedge fund in the world, um, Bridgewater Associates. And he, when he uses that term, he defines it as 
a radically open sense of feedback and communication within staff. And so it's sort of a no hodes barred, like everyone is, is entitled to collect and, and provide honest feedback on each other and each other's performance. It's controversial and some people have said, you know, it, it can be quite harsh. In other terms, uh, radical transparency is defined as just being radically open and honest. So with some companies, this could be they share each other's pay details. Everyone's salary details is out in the open air. Any kind of internal documents, everything is is um, is out there to be seen. It could be uh, some companies, I read about one the other day, where they allow their staff members to come sit in the board, board meetings. So I think locally I've read that Atlassian have, have a leaning or have a practice radical transparency. So, I mean, F5 are a publicly listed company, so we have to obviously be pretty transparent in terms of our financial works and dealings. There's, there's lots of other kinds of ways in which I think you can maintain radical transparency in terms of your local practice and your local team. For me, it's more around the feedback loop and encouraging te- your teammates to be open with ideas, be open with constructive feedback and criticism. And that means as a leader, I must be open to receiving criticism and feedback. And this is what leads me to the next thing around psychological safety. So you can't sort of have this environment where you're saying, well, everybody, it's open side that everyone can sort of say what they want. I think you, that needs to go hand in hand with this whole concept of psychological safety, which is at its core that you know you can you can make mistakes and fail and that's okay because that's part of learning and that's part of the creative process so psychological safety is you can make a mistake you're not going to be punished for it and creating that spirit and environment in teams it's something that software companies have been doing for a long time in terms of software development it's that whole fail fast model of software development but i think marketing teams can really embrace this model as well because we are meant to be creative teams we're meant to be trying new things out we're meant to be adapting First off, I'd say is creating that sense of psychological safety in your team and that sense of it's okay to fail, it's okay to try new things. That is that is the most important thing is, as a leader. And, um, and if your staff feel they're okay to try new things and it's okay to fail, well, then it's okay. That, that means you can come along some very innovative and creative and amazing new solutions to solve um, historical problems. But, yeah, I'd say that those two concepts need to kind of go hand in hand together. I love it. I love it. Where do you think teams go wrong when it comes to values? Yes, this is a good question. I think it's what everyone likes to look at because it's not the the Titanic of (laughs) business theory. I mean, um, I think we've all heard about Enron and the WorldCom scandal and we all watch, you know, a lot of us have been quite intrigued at, you know, the recent dot-com failures or bubbles bursting as well, not necessarily due to malpractice, but... Yeah, it's, everybody's extremely intrigued in where things can go wrong. So maybe I'll start answer that question by starting where why values are important again. So we already know values, people need them to feel connected. They want to come work for company values. Another reason why in an academic sense, values are really important is because they're considered precursors to action. So there is uh, academics, three academics, uh, Gilliland, Steiner and Stylicki in 2003 wrote about uh, values in an academic sense, you know, in a business management framework. And um, they effectively said, you know, values are these important precursors to action. And when when used as that, and in order to create strong company cultures, they do lead to positive outcomes like employee ret- enhanced employer retention, increased job satisfaction and the like. So strong cultures are, are fundamentally underpinned by strong values. So that's why they're exceptionally important. And then being precursors to action, 
I always think of values as being sort of that subconscious mind. You know, sometimes we're in a crisis and we don't really know which way to turn and it's sort of that lizard brain that kicks in and goes, well, this is what is the right thing to do in this situation. So, again, in a crisis situation, I think that sometimes when we see the bad values come out because they are inherently what's underpinning the company and the fundamental, you know, drivers for behaviour. So that's where things can go wrong. When they're not established well, the hits crisis mode, that's when you really see the rubber hit the road. And that's what we've seen with the Enrons. And and, um, and I suppose most recently at home, we've had the Banking Royal Commission. So that was very well publicised where the banks were heavily criticised for very you know, kind of shady behaviours from financial planners, you know, helping people plan their investment superannuation uh, portfolios. That's simply since been addressed with the Royal Commission. But again, you know, a good example of perhaps the values underpinning that were, were a bit lacking. Yeah, and, and back to the other ones, a classic, you know, Enron and, and Wellcom with um, financial misrepresentation and, you know, shareholders being duped out of money. So, yeah, that, that, would, that would be, I'd say, where they can go wrong. I'd also like to say I think there's this misconception that young companies are immune to this, that um, startups, because they are young and agile, that they are, you know, immune to, to, to values kind of going astray. I think the values need to really be kept in check when a company is young. I've worked for two startups and I have witnessed this myself on a number of occasions where it can grow, the startup can grow very quickly. And because of real pressure on, on growth and hiring models, there's a sense of urgency around hiring and there can be a temptation to hire from one's uh, network, professional and personal network. So you, you run into the real danger of groupthink. So you have people you're recruiting out of their own personal networks, the company growing really quickly, but then you have a lot of similar people working at the same company um, and having similar clicks. And then that real emergence of people not wanting to challenge status quo because, because of group things. So I would say, you know, startups are just as much susceptible to this. And so they should be very clean, clear what their values are, and they should align recruitment practices around those as well and maintain diversity and diversity of thought so they don't fall into that trap because that sort of risk of, we want to grow quick, but we want to also maintain quality and maintain aligned to our values. I love that. I love that. And talking about values and talking about examples, I mean, and also you being in the cybersecurity space, there's also also a lot of conversation around values when it comes to cybersecurity, right? And that is becoming a value within companies of like how closely do you monitor your your customers' data and uh, what they've kind of entrusted to you as uh, might be very sensitive data mm. on such a hot topic, and especially like what's what's happening in in Australia, especially with, for example, the Optus breach. How does a company's response to something that happens in the cybersecurity you reckon reflects on their on their values? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, Gosh, it's been this has been front and center of late, hasn't it? The whole values question, and I think we did see it really blow up with Optus. I will admit, you know, we had it was such it was it was a really first large breach on home ground, and and customers were incensed. They were incensed at the fact they weren't being communicated with clearly. They were scared. They had no idea what the next step was. So I'd say I'm going to go back to that comment around in a crisis the values underpinning a company do do show um, more rapidly and more quickly. So I think it is really good for, um, and maybe this is a turning point for Optus, I can go back and say, well, 
did we handle that in line with what our company values are? Should we go back and maybe, you know, really sit with our customers and work out how we can make sure this aligns to our company charter and values? But it's, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not, they're not going to be alone in this. We've had a, quite a few large breaches since. So it's definitely going to be a continuing trend. And again, it's a real opportunity for Compass to go back and say, if this crisis happens, if a crisis happens, how will we handle it? Are we going to align to our values? Are we going to be very transparent with customers? Are we going to do what we say? Because that's the main thing, we'll lose credibility. And I think, you know, one of the things I think I really noted in the last, you know, five, 10 years, possibly five, is this whole emergence of cancel culture, right? So it's not just even a breach. It's not, it's not limited to a, you know, real crisis like that. It could be other kind of PR crisis. No other, every company is not immune to this. You could have, you know, a particular, you know, PR faux pas or someone who on your, you know, executive team that does something that's socially, you know, a little bit on the nose. And this whole concept of cancel culture is real and it's very omnipresent. And, you know, wouldn't say 20 years ago if someone did something that's considered socially taboo or really just a bit off or maybe, you know, was um, considered, you know, not okay in terms of, discriminatory or or, or bigoted Uh, this would not cause a bunch of consumers to go okay we're cancelling you we're just we're going to group together on social media and we're not going to buy your product anymore or you're going to get cancelled but that's a real threat these days so I think that's another consideration is you know values aligning and, and having staff and having your team align with those company values is all more important because we've got many different threats in in the business landscape that didn't exist you know 20 30 years ago yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Jay, I want to, I mean, this was, this was an awesome conversation and I think, you know, values and teams and, and, and being able to reflect company values is such an important component that, like you, like you touched on. Have you read the state of ABM and APAC report yet? If you have, you'll know that 59% of marketing leaders are intending to increase their ABM investment in the coming year. Even bigger news is 0% of survey respondents are going to decrease their investment. It's an exciting time for ABM in the region. Discover the state of account-based marketing in APAC today. Download the full report at abm.xgrowth.com.au forward slash report. That's abm.xgrowth.com.au forward slash report. But before we wrap up the podcast, I want to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions as well. So the first thing I want to ask you is what is one resource? It could be a book, a blog, a podcast, whatever it is that has fundamentally changed the way you you work or live. What what comes to mind? Yeah, I think, um, gosh, it's been a while since I read a book, but I, I do recall reading The Five Dysfunctions of Teams by Patrick Lencioni, and that really stuck with me around where things can go wrong obviously it's it's a it's a company that's in trouble and um it's sort of like they're trying to eliminate where is the the defect in the system but i think it's really helps you understand how teams can you know there can be this sort of malfunction communication breakdowns can occur there is power power battles so i think that one really sticks out with me around a textbook that sort of very like vividly and quite colorfully illustrates this this challenge love it jade if you were able to give one advice to b2b marketers what would that be to b2b marketers i think that's what i said on my first podcast as you was to um, be bold and brave um, experiment innovate so it goes I, back I was, to that yeah i love it when i was I testing see to see if, if it's if it's changed or not because that was a while ago 
No, no, it's definitely be bold and experiment. So it goes back to that psychological safety. We're, we're meant to be creators and we're meant to be um, business people and change agents. So there's no way we're going to do that through playing it safe and not trying new things out. So, yeah, I think I'll go back to that. Very true. Now, since our previous chat, are there influencers or, you know, kind of thought leaders that you follow that you weren't following before? Are there any names that kind of come to mind? Because it was last time we had a chat was about, I'd say about maybe a year and a half ago when, when, we, when we were, uh, yeah, when we had our podcast. About, um, yeah, following more like technologists versus marketers. Definitely I've expanded my scope and I said following more leaders that I admire and business people. And as I, as I said before, you know, it was that, that book by Ray Dalio, Principles, is actually really interesting when insight into a, a leader who's got a very bold vision for their company. So, yeah, I follow leaders across all, all lines of business, not just technology. It's probably broadened since then as in less focused on technology and focused on just truly great leadership. I love it. Jade, this was an awesome conversation. And, uh, I mean, I, I took a lot. There's, there's a few references you've made there that I'm going to be checking out, but I'm pretty sure... It's going to be the same thing with a lot of listeners. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast again for the second time. And I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Shaheen. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, let's uh, think about the third topic soon. (laughs) Looking forward to the third one. Great. Thank you. Today's episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell and Liza Maywald. It was edited by Dave Samito with additional editing by Liza Maywald and music arrangement by Alexander and Liza. Special thanks to Tina Wabe. We couldn't make this show without you. Growth Colony is hosted by Shaheen Hoda, Director of Growth at Xgrowth. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you think you'd be a great guest or just interested in a chat? Send through an email at podcast at xgrowth.com That's podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's all for now. We'll catch you next week right here on Growth Colony.